Hello, and <laughs> welcome to a special edition of our show, Herstory on the Rocks, with Katie and Allie. Normally, it'd just be the two of us hanging out with a couple of cocktails, talking about famous women in history, but sometimes we like to talk to people who are writing about history. <laughs> we have a very special guest here with us today, Carrie Mayer. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're so excited to have you. Carrie is a Boston-based writer with an MFA from Columbia University. She is the author of the best-selling novel, The Paris Bookseller. But she's here with us today to talk about her upcoming book, All You Have to Do is Call. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am, in fact, a Boston-based writer. I um, I live in one of the suburbs close to Wellesley and Newton. I teach creative writing at Emerson, which is really um, fabulous. Um, and, you know, I've been writing uh, novels since I was in fifth grade. So I've been at this a long time. It's really, um, when people ask me, like, why I wanted to become a novelist or how I could do it, and I was like, well, I was really never any, I didn't want to do anything else. <laughs> I enjoy teaching too. (laughs) Perfect. Well, first things first, we have to talk about the cocktail we made for your book. (laughs) So this is obviously called All You Have to Do is Call. And I wanted this to be like a 70s style cocktail. So we used gin, slow gin, egg white, lime juice, grenadine. You shake that all up really, really well. has this beautiful layering on top and you garnish it with rosemary. So it's a beautiful little pink cocktail. Cheers. (laughs) Beautiful. That, all those colors. What is it that gives it that red color? So that's going to be the slow gin and the grenadine. So I don't know if you ever had slow gin, um, but it was really popular in seventies cocktails and it has this beautiful, like purple purplish color um and then the egg white makes this really gorgeous like light pink foam on top <laughs> yes 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 well thank you so much for doing that i had no idea yeah that's cool so fun so before we dive too deep into your book we like to set the scene for all of our listeners your book focuses on a group of women in chicago in the 1970s fighting for reproductive rights can you kind of set the stage for what life is like for women at this time, especially for women who wanted to get an abortion? Well, it wasn't great. (laughs) Um, You know, women at this time couldn't even get their, in the early, this is in the early 1970s I'm writing about, women couldn't even get their own credit card by, you know, by just calling up the credit card company and saying, like we can do today, like, hey, I want to get a credit card. Like a husband or a father had to co-sign on a credit card Um, you know, this is also, and, you know, this is also the time of the very famous, you know, sort of what we think of now as bra burning marches on Washington. Um, amazingly, there wasn't actually very much bra burning that, that sort of has been, that's been like one of these apocryphal kinds of like, um, like wonderful images. Um, but really like if you, if you Google like the protest signs from this era, like there was like a, like, don't iron while the strike is hot. So it was like, like housewives striking on the work that they did. So like no ironing while the strike is hot. Um, you know, and you know, all the other, you know, also like reproductive justice, um, memes that have like come back into our imagination and, you know, not our imagination our our well, right now they're in our, um, social media feeds, right. You know, like hands off my uterus, abortion without apology, all of those great, um, slogans. Um, but, you know, at the same time that women are, you know, really, you know, feminists at this time are really fighting for what we used to call women's liberation, right? Um, 
there are real, real social and legal changes being made and like moving through courts and through the government um, in order to help women attain these lofty goals. And, you know, there, there are a couple of these are in the book. Um, and, and, Unfortunately, two of the key ones are defeated in these years. There's the Comprehensive Child Care Development Act that passed both the House and the Senate, um, and Richard Nixon vetoed. And this would have offered, you know, this would have offered a national, you know, uh, preschool system for children and daycare and all kinds of other helps to to um, families, which, you know, as I'm very fond of pointing out, it's not just about women, right? It's about families. <laughs> it's a dual income households. So unfortunately, that was um, jettisoned in the early 70s. And there was also all kinds of excitement during these years about the Equal Rights Amendment, which also passed both the House and the Senate and went to the states for ratification. And for this is a there's a whole other book and and actually books have been written about what happened with the Equal Rights Amendment, but it it languishes still. <laughs> um, it's actually now been ratified by the right number of states, but um, it can't become an amendment um, because of the statute of limitations on like how long it took. Anyway, so there was your history lesson for today. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Well, and as you said, there are a lot, there's a lot of political movement going on in the 70s yes. and a lot of people doing various things. And your book focuses on the true story of the Jane Collective. Obviously, this is a historical fiction where so we're taking fictional characters in this world. But this was a very real collective that helped women get underground abortions. I mean, safe ones. That has to be yes. very clearly stated. Yes. How did you discover this group and why did you want to tell this story? Um, so we have to go back to the before times of 2018, <laughs> um, before everything, really. Um, I'm like driving like to meet a friend for a movie and I'm listening to NPR as I often did and do. And they did this great kind of one of their great narrative news stories about the women of the Jane Collective. And this was the first time I had ever heard of them. I was and I, I like had to stop the car and I was just so moved by the story. Um, you know, here were these women and I, I really was like, did I hear that right? Like they were just they weren't doctors or nurses or they were just housewives like me, um, you know, doing this amazing work for other women at their own peril, you know, um, legal and, and otherwise. Um, and I just thought, oh my God, surely someone's written about them. And of course I Google that and no one had written about them yet. So I was like, I, I just, I knew in that moment that they're, they're just, I was determined to write a novel, um, about, um, set in this time period. Um, I do think it's important to point out that unlike my first three novels, this is not biographical fiction. So this takes the idea of Jane and sets it with entirely fictional cast of characters um, <clears throat> and situations. It, it takes a few kind of like milestone moments in the history of Jane, um, but it's really a, a fictionalized version of that organization. And can you tell us a little bit about how that organization worked and how did they go under the radar doing something that was at the time very illegal? Yeah. So this was, this was interesting. I mean, they were kind of an open secret, like lots of people knew about them, including police officers and the clergy. And so there were lots of kind of protections for them in place um, all over Chicago. 
Um, they were not, you know, yeah. So there were protections in place for them all over Chicago. And they, gosh, you know, they didn't just offer abortions. They, they, you, you might want to think about them almost as like a proto planned parenthood. They offered um, over, over time, they kind of grew to offer everything, including pap smears, um, STD testing, um, birth control counseling, and, you know, a host of other kind of women's health services. Uh, You know, there were sometimes on different days and, and, you know, um, you had to you had to hit it kind of right, and they were they were so affiliated with this feminist organization called the Chicago Women's Liberation Union, another real life organization in Chicago at, operating at this time, um, <clears throat> and you know they were largely staffed by very young women, um, college and just out of college. And that was another thing that, you know, in my novel, I knew I wanted my characters to have children. So my characters are a little older than the real life women of Jane tended to be. Um, But also because it really was a collective of women and people were doing all kinds of different kinds of work for Jane. Um, Some women were you know, buying boxes and boxes and boxes of Kotex. Some women were driving cars. You, they were There were different locations that they had to have for, I'm going to let readers read the book to under, better understand that, but they had multiple locations and they needed drivers to get people in between the locations. They, they needed volunteers to offer their homes to be locations. <laughs> so really there were just, it was an incredible um, kind of large operation um, by the time it was in full swing in 1970. Mm-hmm. And so we have Veronica, Margaret, and Patty. They're kind of like the three women that you focus on in the book. And it seemed to me like they were different from each other on purpose. So what kind of ways were they different, but what also did they have in common that they needed to be a part of this collective? You know, it's such a good question. I'm like, well, they all sprung from my imagination. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so I um, how do I answer this question without spoilers? So, you know, so Veronica, Veronica is one of the founders of um of of Jane, and I knew from the outset that I wanted that character and and her, her name Veronica. It's funny two of the three names emerged immediately to me, um, Veronica and Patty. I just knew that that was who they were. Um, Margaret has had a few names for a variety of different reasons. Um, but so, and I knew Veronica, I wanted her to be a founder and a provider who had never had an abortion herself. That was important to me. I really wanted to show the passion of women, um, who have never had, a, a, you know, need for the service, they, they call it the service internally, um, that still wanted to uh, be part of this organization, to lead the organization, to be, to get their hands dirty, so to speak, um, for other women, right? So that was Veronica. I knew that she needed to have a very good friend who was not on board, would not be on board. <laughs> um, and that was Patty. And, you know, it took me a while to kind of figure out the way in which Patty was not on board, because one of the things that I learned in the course of my research is that, like, a lot of the what we we think of as, I'm going to use the term pro-life, was really anti-abortion rhetoric mm-hmm. that we all grew up with, okay, didn't exist then. <laughs> so 
a lot of this like language around life and when life starts and all this stuff really wouldn't have been part of the conversation then. So I had to think a lot about what, what was, what would have been Patty's impediment to, to abortion. Um, so that was, that was sort of the beginning of Patty. Am I thinking about Patty? And then I wanted to have, um, and I kind of also knew that those two characters were going to be, um, sort of more traditional, maybe housewife, mother type characters although we know veronica is like leading this like secret she's like the C secret ceo of a major organization um but then margaret margaret who is not sort of longtime friends with patty and, and veronica but she is like a young career woman i knew i wanted to have a young career woman as uh, on the on the this this was the sort of the cast of characters and it took me a while to actually figure out how margaret was going to be involved in jane and it was like many drafts before i realized that she needed to be more involved than she had been in the earlier draft. So in this final version that everyone's reading, um, she's off, she's actually going to meetings and um, and volunteering her time um, as a member of Jane. But that, that evolved over the course of writing the book. Mm -hmm. And so you hear about this on NPR, and then you start writing, it's 2020, and then the Supreme Court goes and does what it does. Yeah. What, what conversations do you want people to have surrounding this book now that it's going out to the public? Um, I I want people to realize that there are that there are all this is going to keep happening. Mm -hmm. Like this is not new, okay? And like, why are we going to put women, both both well and men, right? And and people on all the, the whole spectrum of gender, right? Why are we going to put people at risk? The, the, the people who need the abortions and the people who are providing the abortions, like this is going to happen. So why are we putting people at, at risk and, and, and the kinds of risks that I write about in this, in this book, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think another thing that I really, really want people to take away, and I, I say this in my, um, my author's note at the very end, is that there is no them. <laughs> it's all us here. You know, this is not about pe like those people who do this thing or need this thing. This is all of us. We are all in this together. And could we please, you know, cooperate and find a way out of the situation we're in? Yeah, mm. I could. I mean, we couldn't agree more here, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking when I, I was looking over the notes for your book and I was like, man, I want to give this woman a soapbox and a microphone, yeah. but I only have a microphone. <laughs> That's the only thing I have. Well, thank you. I mean, you know, listen, it's, you know, I, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, 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 I hope that that people who aren't entirely convinced might buy this book. I mean, I know that there's going to be a lot of preaching to the choir, right? Like, you know, and that's wonderful. Um, but you know, it was, is it too lofty of a goal to say, maybe I could change one person's mind. So tip someone over the fence. Or maybe you give, um, maybe you're preaching to the choir and you give that person one fact that they can use in a discussion with a friend or family member that mm -hmm. then sways their opinion. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I also, I love the name of the book because I feel like we have all been in those situations where like someone is in a situation, you're like, if you need anything, 
just call me. <laughs> and I feel like that was what these women were doing. I mean, they were, they had each other's back in a time where no one else did. And it, obviously there were also like larger institutions that some people maybe wouldn't believe, like you said, like the church and the police force that were like, maybe I don't agree, but like, also like these women need care because something is yeah. happening. Um, and your story takes place mainly in Chicago, but were, was the Jane collected? Did it go to other states? How wide reaching did this end up being? No, it was really just Chicago based. I wow. mean, they, they definitely, I mean, Chicago is, you know, I have a character who sort of comes in from Madison, Wisconsin, which mm-hmm. um, I had to like, look at a map. I was like, oh, that's really only like a three hour drive, or maybe it was a two hour drive. I can't remember. So that, but so they, I, they pulled from, um, uh, from various places. There was an interesting sort of decision moment in the history of Jane, um, because in, oh gosh, and I should have, I should have checked this date before I, before I started this call, but I think it was, it was 1970 or 71 when, when abortion became illegal in New York State. It became legal in New York state. Mm-hmm. So women could travel to New York to get a hospital abortion. And there was a question in Jane. They were like, well, so are we going to stop doing this? Like if women can now go to New York, New York, New York state, which is not that far away, should we become, should we become a referral service again? Because they, they started as a referral service where they, they, they had a network of safe good providers in Chicago and they would refer women out to those providers. So they were like, well, should we become a referral service again? Or, and even like buses, I mean, this is what's happening now, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, how are we going to get a woman in Mississippi to her abortion? Right. Mm -hmm. So, but they decided that there was sufficient demand, continued demand in Chicago that they should continue to provide their service. And indeed they did. And, you know, and I, the book I think portrays this there, I mean, there, it just kept, the demand just kept growing and growing and growing. Mm. And after you hear about this, this is like obviously an underground system that a lot of people know about, but if it's just word of mouth, what kind of research did you do to get, you know, the information was it newspaper articles, journals, yeah, so it's it's is it is an interesting question. So there are two terrific books, nonfiction books that have been written about Jane by women who were involved. Mm-hmm. Um, one by uh, Judith Arcana and another by um, 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 Laura Kaplan, and those are terrific books. And you know, I did a lot of googling. There are some documentaries that have been really great. Um, I, I cannot. There's one that I can't recommend highly enough. Um, she's beautiful when she's angry. Um, they talk a lot about, um, the, the Jane collective and other, other sort of like groups of women's lib, um, during this time period. Um, and, and so, yeah, so I just, I, I did as much of that kind of research as I could. I talked to one woman who was actually involved in Jane kind of peripherally. Um, and yeah, I just did as much digging as I could, but, you know, at some point, you know, this, it had to be a really compelling novel and I had to really tend to my characters. Right. So, and there, those stories were really just products of like my imagination and, and what I thought, you know, I'm old enough that I was born in 1975. So like, these were my, my mother's friend, my mother and their friends and my college professors. And so it was, it was fun for me a bit to sort of imagine those, some of those women (laughs) at this time. 
and what this might've been like for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was funny looking at, I saw a photo of the, the real founder of the Jane Collective and I was looking at her and I was like, oh my gosh, she is not that old. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. Here. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Just yeah. unbelievable. Um, so one question we always like to ask people who write, uh, especially books about historical events is, did you go to uh, Chicago? Cause obviously you're in Boston, so you're not too, too far away. Did you go and see any of the places that were a part of this, which I know is kind of weird because COVID COVID and it's like a lot of people's houses and stuff, mm-hmm. but did you go anywhere in particular for your research? I did. I did go to Chicago and a very good friend of mine who also writes historical fiction, Renee Rosen. Um, (laughs) So, so Renee and I are good friends. Um, um, And uh, so I stayed with her and she like, she and some, like a a friend of hers and her, um, and her fiance gave me this like wonderful tour of like the city. I mean, so one of the things I was really not prepared for until I got to Chicago, this is my first ever time being there. It's enormous. Yeah. It's It's not a walkable city. No, it is not. I mean, I've lived in New York, so I'm like, it's not like I wasn't like, I haven't been in big cities before, but I I just, I just hadn't realized what, what Mm -hmm. Chicago was. So I, so I knew, I knew that I wanted the, the book to kind of take place near the, the university of Chicago campus. So I kind of focused my um, boots on the ground, walking around research in, in like Hyde Park and in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just sort of tried to get the overall lay of the land. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I realized when I was there that true Chicagoans are, tr- are very loving and protective of their fair city. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh God, I'm not a native and they're going to know that. <laughs> um, so like, so I gave Margaret, who's an out of towner, She's the one I gave all the descriptions of Chicago. To. Oh, wow, smart. <laughs> because she's seeing them as an outsider. She's seeing the city as an outsider. Uh-huh. And because I figure, you know, if you live there your whole life, like Patty and Veronica have, those are the other minds were inside. You sort of, you take all of it for granted, right? Mm-hmm. There might be some, there are some things that you will love about it and they reflect on those things, but they're not going to like see the skyscrapers and the beaches and stuff the way I saw them and the way I wanted to make sure that like I described them in the book because not everyone is from Chicago. And so I wanted to um, sort of show what I thought was really cool about the city Mm -hmm. and the campus. I mean, the campus is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Can you tell everybody where to find you, where they can find your book and where they can find all your other books and how they can follow you online? Okay. Oh my gosh. I wouldn't be here all day. Um, <laughs> so many platforms now, right? Um, okay. I actually don't use very many platforms. Mainly I'm on Instagram and Substack. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I recently launched a Substack newsletter and you can kind of, you can, you can sort of subscribe at a, like a basic newsletter, free newsletter level and just get like the giveaways and like, you know, the events and all that kind of stuff. But I also publish, um, like little essays there. I, I actually serialized the original version of the Paris bookseller there. Um, I'm sorry, the original ending of the Paris bookseller, not the original whole original book. That would have been too much. Um, <laughs> so that's Substack and then Instagram, you know, Instagram is really where I post all of my events and, you know, the stories. And I, I unboxed, I, I know nobody can see this except us, but I'm holding up my <laughs> back again. I unboxed the boxes of hardbacks today. So that's really fun to be able to share with people on Instagram. Um, 
And I have a website, carrymare.com. And I on Instagram, I'm at carrymarewriter. And Substack is Carrie Mayer. And the name of the, the Substack is Sandcastles. Perfect. Well, thank you again for coming on. We're so excited for people to read this book and give it to other people and hopefully start some really great conversations. Yeah. And just thank you for writing it. Yeah. We, we need it, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, the world is a different place than it was when I got the idea and when I started writing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you for having me. Of course. You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.